Are you a kid or a grown-up? A kid. You're positive? How do you know you're a kid? Because I'm five years old. What do you want to be when you grow up? A pop star. What are some things only grown-ups get to do? Drink coffee. If you had a million dollars, what would you buy with it? Um, a race car. If your mom or dad had a million dollars, what would they buy? Um, a hose. And what if a grown-up decided to have fun? What would they do to have fun? Well, mom and dad sometimes play games at nighttime. What are you looking forward to doing the most when you're fighting? Go to work. Mm, help people. That's pretty good. Good morning, Hosanna. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good morning, and Hosanna in Shakopee and Hosanna online. I'm, my name's Bill Bolin, and I can hardly begin to tell you what it feels like to stand here. I'm just delighted, and I'm humbled, and I'm honored, and I'm excited to be invited back. And if there's a problem in the room, it would be this. I haven't stood here for seven months, and I have a lot on my mind and a lot in my heart, so I'm just going to start talking, and you, need, you leave when you need to leave, okay? And come back at 11 and catch the end of it if you want to. One of the things that that I want to say, Nancy and I want to say to you, is we love you, and we want to say thank you very much. Seven months ago, you sent us out of here, I don't know how else to say it, except on a high. We just floated out of here, like on a sea of grace and love and good wishes, and you just wrapped your arms around us and blessed us. We never felt so loved and honored. I want to say thank you for that. You really know how to love people. And the number one question that that we've been asked is, uh, how's retirement? And my honest answer is, I don't know yet. I I haven't landed exactly yet. We've been traveling a little bit. Some of you heard that we moved a couple weeks ago. We live in a new townhome just right by church here. And you know how it is when you've been in a house for 10 days. After you've been in a house for 36 years, this new house is just a path through the boxes, okay? You know, to the kitchen and to the bedroom and to the bathroom. And I haven't found my own deodorant yet. I think Nancy's is going to get me through the morning. We'll see. (laughs) Part of my uh, retirement experience is I had my gallbladder out about six weeks ago. And again, you are so loving. Any number of you asked, could we see pictures of that? Would you look at the screens? <laughs> Looks a little like that, okay. And, and then they wanted to take some pictures. They said, we want some pictures with you not smiling. So that looks like this. God has a sense of humor, and I I think he said, let's have some fun with Boleyn and this gallbladder thing, okay? So I had a big stomachache on a Saturday night six weeks ago, went into the ER at the Ridges, and they did an ultrasound, just like I'm having a baby. Okay, you got gallstones, and they might be moving, la-di-da, but by now I'm on pain meds and not feeling too bad. I said, I'll just go home and sleep in my own bed because I had my gallbladder attack, okay? By Sunday night, I got a fever, I'm feeling sick, I go back to the ER at the Ridges, and it's a train station. They're having a convention there. I've never seen so many sick people in all my life. (laughs) And finally, I get admitted to a hospital bed at about 5 o'clock in the morning. Where do they put me? The only bed in the hospital, the Peds Ward. Now, I don't think that's because I'm 5'7", but he'll fit. Take, (laughs) Take him up to pediatrics. So I'm getting in the room about 5.30, and I'm just starting to doze off, and uh, about a half hour later, I wake up, and there's a guy in a white coat standing right next to me, talking. And he says, my name is Dr. Cabrera. I'm a hospitalist. I'm going to look after you while you're in the hospital. 
He's a great man. I've heard of him. I had met him before, and, and some of you might know him. His name is Dr. Jesus Cabrera. So in my sleep-deprived, medicated state, I rolled over, and I said, Dr. Jesus is here to take care of me. I'm going to be okay. And we had a good conversation, or at least he did. He just kept talking, and I'm nodding. And finally, uh, you know, about another 45 minutes goes by, and here's another guy standing at the bed. And he's tall and good-looking. He says, my name is Dr. Ryan so-and-so, and and I'm a surgeon. I'm going to do your surgery at noon today. And and now I'm shaking my head again because I said, did I hear this right? A guy named Ryan is going to be doing my surgery? (laughs) See? So I started to get nervous again, you know? And I said, where's where's Dr. Jesus? Well, and then then he says, I'll show you what I'm going to do. And he starts drawing pictures on the wall. I'm not making this up. And he said, you know, here's your liver, and here's your colon, and here's your descending Watusi, and your your transverse Wanamingo. And pretty, you know, I'm looking, and I think pretty soon he's drawing a picture of the Viking Stadium. I don't know what he's doing. And And honestly, I remember having the thought, the guy sure can draw. I hope he can operate, yes? So the surgery's at noon, takes about 45 minutes. Now I'm in the recovery room, and, and uh, hear me, folks. What's the number one question in the recovery room? Everybody that comes to your bedside asks you this. Have you been passing gas? <laughs> Everybody comes by and, and asks me that. There were cab drivers going by and construction guys going by saying, have you been passing gas? So I, you know, they took out my gallbladder, but not my sense of humor. I just started asking everybody else the same question. And I might ask it of you before you leave today, okay? <laughs> and, it, you know, I, I thought, okay, should I tell you that part of the story? And then here's the thought that dropped for me, okay? When you're retired, you can't be fired. When you're retired, you can't be fired. So I thought, I can say anything I want up here this morning. <laughs> uh, I just want to say, a big part of our retirement is still Hosanna. It's a huge spot in our hearts. We haven't left. Nancy and I worship here almost every weekend. The only question is, you know, where should we sit? So we're experimenting, okay? But I love, I love the music here and the messages. And God's hand is still on this congregation. Do you know that? And Ryan and the entire staff and the vision board, they are praying great prayers and making great plans for this congregation. And I say this as I often do, the best is still ahead because it's God. And God's going to show us more things. The best is still ahead, okay? Father's Day, dads, isn't this something? Don't, don't you think it's wonderful, dads, that one of the longest days of the year, today, tomorrow, is Father's Day, okay? Let's stretch this thing out. Hallelujah. And I hope you get a great, you know, brand new sleeve of golf balls or a, a grill mitt that says burnt food is the best or whatever. I hope it's a great morning for you. When you get to be my age, listen, men, you've had a number of different titles like the Reverend Billy B or lead pastor or chairman of the board or treasurer of the class. Fine. Nice. Those all come and go. Forty years ago, I got this title. Dad. Feel it. Hear it. It's a title that stands apart and above all the others that I've ever had, okay? Because it's a lasting one. And now right along behind it is coming another one. It's Papa Bill. I just When I'm called Papa Bill... I'm feeling good, okay? Being a dad is more than an act of biology. It's a holy calling. It's a high calling that God has on you, man. Feel that this morning. There's a million stories in the room, but we prepared a story for you. This is for everybody in the room. It absolutely is, but you dads, lean in, 
on this one. Watch the screens, please. Hi, my name is Nathan Schutz. My family has been attending Hosanna for about two years now. A lot of people will look at our family from the outside and imagine this simple, happy life and that's just simply not the truth. Our story is far more deep than that and there's a, a lot more hurt than meets the eye. So I have three children of my own and they've each had their own pains that they've had to deal with uh, with their parents going through a divorce. For me, my story is one of a failed marriage, addiction, financial ruin, mental health issues, and depression. Alicia and Henrik, their story is a little bit different in that Henrik's birth father has never been a part of his life. It was just Henrik and I for so many years, and we had been through so much pain with Henrik's father just never coming. He just disappeared when I was pregnant, and that was that. And it was a lot of pain for Henrik. I mean, when he was about three and a half, he said to me, I know what happened with my dad. He just didn't want me, did he? And it was absolutely devastating. And for about 10 years, I had been feeling the pull and the need to adopt at some point in my life. I didn't know how it would happen or what shape it would take. But when Alicia first told me of Henrik, I knew immediately that this was the purpose for that call. So leading up to the actual adoption day, I, I wasn't expecting it to be an emotionally overwhelming experience and quickly realized I was wrong. It was an immediate and palpable change that happened um, in my heart. And as we walked out of the courtroom and Henrik was a few feet in front of me, he turned around and stretched his arms out to me. And I picked him up and he put his head on my shoulder and we cried. And I'll never forget that moment when he went from being my stepson to being my son. And that sort of heart that he has is exactly the reason why I married him and why I believe he was chosen by God to be Henrik's dad. So how did I become this handsome and charming, well-adjusted father and husband? I took the focus off of myself and put it back on God. And after many years of failing and getting back up again and repenting, one day woke up and saw four beautiful kids and a beautiful wife and wondered, how did I get here? What did I do? And I realized I didn't do very much. I simply got down on my knees and I said, God, I'm tired of trying to run my own life. I'm going to let you drive for a while and see what happens. And somehow God orchestrated and authored a plan for our lives that brought our brokenness together with him at the center. And so our, our story isn't clean, and it isn't pretty, and it isn't simple, but it is beautiful. Yep. I'm so very, very grateful to Nathan and Alicia that they have kind of let us in. They've told us their story with candor. That's quite a story, isn't it? And you, you heard it. Uh, it. It started with brokenness and depression and mental illness and financial ruin and a young boy who didn't know his dad and thought he wasn't wanted by a dad. These are the pieces that God took 
to bring together and make this beautiful picture and this beautiful family because God can do that. And, you know, I'm, there's a lot in that story. The part that touched me were, you know, Nathan hugging Henrik and he went from being my stepson to my son and this little boy is experiencing the hug of a dad for the first time. And then Alicia saying, I know that he was chosen by God to be Henrik's father. Oh, God wants to use us dads to bless our families, okay? So would you dads and granddads and godfathers and all you men, would you stand up? Don't clap for them yet. They're just standing. That's not worthy of a clap, but let's get a look at them. Fathers, would you please stand? Love you men. I, 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 I honor you. I bless you this morning, okay? And God has great plans for you. Uh, you too, just like in our story, you too have been chosen to be a dad and to be a grandfather, okay? And if, like Nathan, we just humble ourselves and come before God and ask him, he will give us everything that we need to be a man after his own heart. Some of you know that Micah 6, verse 8, has become a special verse for me. A year ago, on June, yeah, June 8th, 6-8, our little grandson Micah was born, okay? So we've been celebrating birthdays. Micah 6-8 looks like this. It's good words for us. He has shown you, O mortal, or O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I just think good words for us on Father's Day, okay? Let me pray with you, men. I thank you for these men who are standing, Lord. Uh, They are godly men. They are standing in your house on holy ground this morning. I pray blessing over them. I pray favor over them, Lord. I pray faith within them. Help them to sense the call to be a father and to be a dad. And that the best they can do is humbly come before you and walk and act in obedience to you. Bless these men. May it be a day of joy and celebration in their lives. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's clap for these guys. Happy Father's Day. So this gets us on topic. We're in this sermon series called Grow Up, and I'm liking it. And and the, the call is, the thought is that we are to grow up spiritually all of our lives. There's no arrival point, okay? It's a lifelong thing. And it's a biblical principle, too. Many of you know 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. You've heard that. Do you know the part or remember the part of the chapter where Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I set aside those childish things, okay? The growing up business. Or in Ephesians 3.19, it says, may you be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Hear it? May you be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. As we grow up, we are filled up. So that's what this sermon series is about, this business of of growing up and being filled up with good and godly things. And we're focusing on David. I have a younger brother named David, lives out in California for a long time. Eh, For a while when I was a kid, I thought he got the better name, Bill. There's no Bills in the Bible. David in the Bible. David, okay? Don't you love studying David? That's what we're doing. Great victories, Goliath. Great failures, Bathsheba, Uriah. We heard that story last week, told by Ryan. But nevertheless, it's a good word, nevertheless, we read this in Acts 13, verse 22. We've seen this week by week. Okay, this is God speaking. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. That's why we're looking in at David. 
All his victories and all of his foibles, he was a man after God's own heart, and he grew up spiritually, and we can see that in his lifetime. So this morning's message is titled Wisdom from David. I suppose in a, in a, in a sermon series called Grow Up, I, I could have said Wise Up, but that's got an edge to it. You and I are to acquire and, and to gain this gift of wisdom as we mature. David did that in his lifetime, and, and we can see it. Would you write this down, just this thought? Information comes from a faucet. Wisdom comes from a well. I just like that thought. And we, this is our lives. Isn't it? We, we can touch something, tap something. It's like a spigot or a faucet. Information and news and facts and all that, we can get them in a moment's notice. Wisdom comes from a different place, a deeper place, okay? And we have to seek it and, and ask for it. Facts and knowledge, you, you can measure that. You know, how, how much does a person know? You can take a test. You pass the test or flunk the test. Wisdom, hear it, folks. Wisdom has to do with knowing a person, not facts and information, knowing a person, Jesus Christ, and knowing the truth with a capital T. David acquired wisdom, and he wanted to pass it on to his son, Solomon. And at the very end of his life, this is the, the passage that we're going to see right now. This is King David. Just before he dies, he's speaking to his son Solomon and passing on some godly advice or wisdom. Okay, it's in 1 Kings chapter 2. Hey, we're going to put it up on the screen, but if you have your Bible, and we're encouraging you to do that, or if you have a sanctuary Bible, it's on page 200. Okay, here's what that passage looks like. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said, so be strong and act like a man. Hear it? Act like a man. And observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, And if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Israel. Here ends the reading. This is our lesson for today. And what we're seeing in this this short passage is David is talking to his son Solomon, who's going to be king, and he says some things about obedience and about prosperity and about an inheritance or a legacy. We're going to come back to that. I would tell you, evidently, this was pleasing to to the, the ears of Solomon because if you know the story, in the very, as the story unfolds, in the very next chapter, God comes to this young King Solomon and says, you've found favor with me, you can have anything you want. Holy mackerel, anything you want. And Solomon said, I need wisdom, I'm young, if I'm going to rule over these people, and he chose wisdom. And I remember every time my mom and dad read me that Bible, so Solomon was the smartest person who ever lived, because he chose wisdom, Okay. Now, just before we go on, it's almost like I want to pull you aside and lift up a key word here because it will be helpful to us. And the key word is conviction. Would you write it down? Conviction. You understand it has a couple meanings. Uh, One is to to be convicted. You know, a conviction is is the formal decree that you are guilty, you've broken some law, and, and you're a convict. We get that. A conviction is also a deeply, firmly held belief. Conviction. Something that has changed us. Over the years, one of the things that a number of you said to me about my preaching was, we've talked about this before, you said, you would say to me, you have the most wonderful way of telling us off. (laughs) I've never heard that from Nancy at home. (laughs) 
But what's this business of I have a wonderful way of telling you off? This is the business of where I come to the edge of the platform and I speak into your life and I tell you off, right? No. You know, I understand that's how you described it. What's going on is when I step to the edge of the platform and speak God's word, it's a combination of God's word being spoken and God's spirit moving on our hearts. And what happens is it, that's where the conviction comes. It's, um, it gets a hold of us. It gets our attention in a special way. It, it uh, draws us back from a ledge. It, it turns us in a new direction, okay? That's the conviction. And yes, you're, you're hearing and you're learning something new, but you're also seeing something in, the new, in a new way. The Bible talks about scales falling off our eyes. You learn something, you see it differently, a different perspective, and you experience something, not up here, but down here. That's conviction, okay? That's what can happen in this room. And it's not condemnation. It's not me telling you off because you'd say, uh, who, the, who do you think you are? It's, it's this conviction. That's of the Lord. That's a wisdom that the Lord can give us. When I was in seminary, the, one of the preachers that I admired so much was Dr. Hoover Grimsby, downtown Central Lutheran Church. He'd preach. And oftentimes he would pray this prayer. O Holy Spirit, come, convict, convert, consecrate. Amen. That was the prayer. Didn't you hear what he's saying? He's saying, Holy Spirit, come and do your thing. Convict us and get our attention. Grab our hearts. And then convert us. Make us different. Start us off in a new direction. And then consecrate us. Make us holy for God's purposes. Pray this after me. O Holy Spirit, come. Convict, convert, consecrate. Okay, we're praying that in this morning, okay? And David, as he grew in wisdom, he grew to have uh, these convictions. And if you, if you want to read about it, read Psalms, folks. Just go to Psalms. I encourage you to do that in this next week or these next weeks. David wrote half of the 150 Psalms, 75 of them. And there you see the wisdom that he acquired and how he praises God and loves the Lord and understands his relationship with God, okay? Let's look quickly now at three convictions that David has expressed as he's talking to Solomon. The first one was about obedience. He's telling Solomon in verse 3 of that passage that we read, walk in obedience to, to God, keep his decrees and commands, his laws and his regulations, okay? David, over his lifetime, came to have a superb understanding and appreciation for God's laws, and God's decrees, and he spoke about them with an, a delightful eloquence. Look what he says here in uh, Psalm 19. Look up at the screen. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Let those words rest on your mind for a moment, okay? David's speaking about God's laws and his decrees. And in, in what you don't feel for a second is, oh, they're, they're heavy and, and they're a burden and they steal life from us. They're radiant. They give joy to my heart. They are life-giving. Thank you, Lord, for this gift. And what David came to understand 
was that when you abide and you live within these laws and decrees, you do experience life and security and safety, and when you step outside of them, you experience consequences. That's the way the universe is wired up, okay? There are laws and there are rules, and if we step outside of them, then God punishes us. No, we experience the consequences thereof. It's, it's a little bit like this. How many of you have broken the law of gravity lately? Oh my, it's a nonsense question. Oh, I break it all the time. I jump out windows. No, you, it's, a, it's a law. We understand that. You break that law, you break your neck. Okay, there's a consequence to it. In the same way, in God's kingdom, there are moral laws and decrees and commands that when we break them, there are consequences. Now, my very dear people, in that light... Let us reflect for the next couple of moments on the events that happened in Orlando last week. Is that a tragedy? Is that um, an unbelievable event? Is it an act of uh, violence and hatred? It's all of that, all of that and more. And you know, as well as anybody, how much is being said about it. And so much is being said uh, out of fear or out of anger. And in one of, you know, if you listen to the dialogue, one of the primary threads is, well, what's the real issue? We've got to understand the real issue here. Help us understand the real issue so that it won't happen again. We'll know what to do so it won't happen again. And they bring the experts on and they speak. And they identify the real issue as gun control. It's a, it's a gun issue, obviously. We got too many. We don't have enough. It's those kind of guns. We need better laws. And, the, and the, the country is deeply divided along those lines. And it's not helpful. And others come on and say, well, clearly it's a gay issue. And God's angry at the gays and he's punishing the gay people. And I stand against that thought and let us not be people who even entertain that. Okay? God did not appoint that guy to go to that club that night. He did not. And yet, regarding gays and lesbians, the country is deeply divided. Well, it's a, it's a matter, you know, the real issue here is it's a matter of ISIS and, and Islamic terrorism and all that stuff. And while we might find some common ground there, we're divided on what to do about it. And the beat goes on. And I would frame it just a little bit differently and ask, what is the root issue? What is the root issue of what's going on here and continues to repeat itself? Do you know this little phrase, our roots determine our routes? I don't mean to be cute about it, but hear it. Our roots determine our routes. Only when we understand our roots can we determine a different sense of direction if we need to. And I think in this instance, folks, the root issue for our nation, not for Orlando or the gay community, the root issue for us as a nation is our distance from God and our disobedience to his commands. We love our violence, folks. How many television shows do you watch where the guns are drawn and there's a shootout at the OK Corral? We just built a billion dollar monument to violence and we will watch the warriors run at each other and shorten their lifespan down there we love our violence we have written God out of the public discourse I've been asked to pray over at the legislature Ryan just was and they say come and pray pastor but don't mention the name of Jesus uh uh 
And we have broken the moral laws that God has given us. Straits far more than gays. Hear me? Straits far more than gays. We've broken the moral laws and we have denied the very Judeo-Christian foundation upon which this nation is built. We're rewriting history, trying to. And then we wonder why this is happening. Well, God's punishing us, isn't he? No. No, he's not. It's not his way. We are experiencing, we are suffering the consequences of our disobedience. And Orlando is just another example of that, and there will be others, folks. So, let us not wring our hands and say, what should we do? We have this in God's word. In Second Chronicles 7, verse 14, you know the promise of God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. That's his promise, and he keeps his promises. That's his heart's desire. That's his will, not to punish us, but to heal us. I'll tell you, I love with every beat of my heart, I love with all my heart these little ones who are calling me Papa Bill. And I want more than anything to leave them a land that is more secure, more united, more peaceful than the one that we're experiencing right now. But I believe it won't be more laws, more guns, higher walls that will give them the only thing which Almighty God himself can give them that kind of security and peace and unity. David knew his enemies, he did, but he also knew that God and God alone was his strength and his portion and his shield and his rock and his redeemer. That's some wisdom from David. And I just pray that kind of wisdom, that kind of turning, that kind of awakening for us in this nation too. David went on as he was talking to Solomon to say a word about prosperity. You'll be obedient and you'll be prosperous. How did David define prosperity? Man, he had it. Wealth, kingdom, power, he had prosperity. He would make Bill Gates look like an Uber driver, like a taxi cab. I mean, just, he had it. How did he ultimately define prosperity? You know this. It's written on your heart. Psalm 23, verse 1 is what? The Lord is my shepherd. Read the last part with me. I have all that I need. (laughs) That's wisdom from David. That's prosperity. I've got the Lord. He's my shepherd, my counselor, my guide. He guards me, protects me, leads me beside still waters. I got all I need. I just mentioned in passing that uh, Nancy and I moved. We lived in this house for 36 and a half years. I recommend moving every 36 years, okay? What's the next line out of my mouth? Holy Moses, we have stuff. We got stuff. And it's not that we're hoarders or big savers, but man, if you need a coffee mug or a t-shirt that says bless your heart or anything, you know, just come on over. One of us is a saver, okay? Let's just call her Nancy. And, and we're working this through, you know, what we should save and, and what we should give away. But here's the thought I want to share with the room, okay? Would you write this down? Our stuff is like cholesterol. Gee, that's an ishy thought, but it's true, okay? 
Our stuff is like cholesterol. It clogs our spiritual arteries and stunts our spiritual growth. It just does. Why? Because it requires our time and our attention and our money to buy it and to fix it and to insure it and then to store it. Oh, gee whiz. It's killing us. Uh, Stuffed animals, good. An occasional stuffed pizza, fine. Storage garages that are stuffed with your possessions. They're killing you. Bringing heart disease. The Bible says so. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. Your treasure might be over in some stuffy garage with your things, okay? This wisdom came from David. How will I be prosperous? (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I pray that kind of wisdom for us. And then, and then finally he talked about an inheritance or, or a legacy. He said, you know, Solomon, if you are obedient and your people follow you, we, there will always be one of our descendants on the throne, a promise from God. That'll be part of his legacy. I think for you and for me, our legacy has to do with this. Just hear this, folks. With the stories that we tell, the lives that we have touched, and the sacrifices that we, are, that we have made. That's legacy. Nancy and I were at <clears throat> Fort Snelling uh, National Cemetery over Memorial Day to put f- flowers on her dad's grave there. He was a World War II pilot. And can you with me in your, in your mind's eye picture that, s- those, that sea of, of white markers? doesn't quite go out of sight, but it feels like it. Thousands upon thousands of white markers and the flags flying and the flowers on many of the graves and the loved ones moving along and remembering and telling their stories and giving thanks. What a legacy there. These thousands of soldiers, the stories they told, the lives they touched, the sacrifice that they made. I think, folks, that is just an inkling, just a foretaste of that day when millions upon millions upon millions of saints will stand before the throne of Almighty God and their stories will have been told and they will have loved and they will have sacrificed in the name of Jesus Christ and it will be a great day of celebration. And some of the words on their lips might be the same words that, uh, that David wrote in Psalm 16. looks like this. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places Surely I have a delightful inheritance. God, you've been good to me. You've been all that I needed. I love that line. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. You've taken care of me, Lord, and that's my inheritance. That's a legacy we can all seek. It's a promise from God. Here's the last word uh, this morning. Folks, we are the people that we've been waiting for. I say that at, at conferences when I speak or to pastors or church leaders. I, I have said it from you to time, you know, from time to time. We're the people we've been waiting for. We're, we're right here in the room. Maybe you've heard, <laughs> there's going to be an election this fall. And what we know is that no particular politician, no particular political party, no particular political promise will bring healing to this land. And we all know that. 
And our leaders and representatives know that as well. I'm, I'm on, I happen to now be on the board of the National Association of Evangelicals. And we met in Washington, D.C. last fall. And we had eight U.S. senators come and address us. They wanted to talk to us. Wonderful, brilliant men and women. A, a heart to serve. And one after another, in, in so many words, they said to us, you folks of all people, pastors and church leaders, you folks of all people know that the government doesn't change hearts. The church does. We're here to govern the land, but you are the ones that can change people's hearts. And I felt conviction at that point. And another comment, which let this thought lean, lean on your mind and, and talk about it in your small group, when does government grow? Government continues to grow when families fail and falter and break up. Because government tries to fill in the gaps. That's part of what's going on. Who's going to rebuild into the families? We are. Now, I understand that we might say, in light of the magnitude of the issues, who am I? Who am I? And I'm standing on the, on the edge of the platform, and I would say to you, stop that, okay? Moses tried it at the burning bush. Moses, you're going to lead my people out of uh, captivity. Oh, Lord, you know, you, who am I? I mean, I can't even talk. I can hardly walk and chew gum. You, you know, you can't be me. God didn't say to him, no, you're terrific. He didn't give him a pep talk. What did God say to Moses? Moses. I will be with you. I'm going with you, Moses. It's not about you. And when Jesus sent his disciples out, go make disciples, baptize, and teach, what is the last word he said to his disciples? Remember this. I'm going to be with you till the very end of time. My dear friends, we have the promises of God we have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and we have the power of the Holy Spirit upon us and within us. What are we waiting for? Let us be the people who rise up and give glory to God and go out and bring peace and joy and unity once again to this land that Jesus Christ might be honored and glorified. If there's conviction in the room, would you please say amen? Amen. amen. Okay. Let me pray with you. Uh, Lord, I, I just, uh, I, I thank you, Lord, and I praise you, glorify you, Lord, always, for the hour of worship in your house, the power and wonder of your word, the movement, the touch of the Holy Spirit, and more, the fellowship, Lord, the beating hearts, experiencing one another in this room. This is all of you, Lord, and your hand is upon us. And I do pray conviction, Lord, that, that we have felt it, seen it, we know it, we know that truth has been spoken, your word has been lifted up, and the call is on all of us, God, to go out and walk in humility, but speaking truth, loving, yes, loving people, best we can, just like you do, God. Again, I lift up dads, I hope it's a great day for them, God. Let them know the special call you have and how you want to bless families through each dad. Let them sense that. May we be a congregation, Lord, uh, where there's joy, where there's unity, where the light shines and the truth is spoken. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand for a final blessing? My dear friends, the grace...
of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit be upon each and every one of you. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.